Let me introduce you to a new friend. We're starting a series uh, this Sunday entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? And who you think you are is really important, very important. Who you identify yourself to be as God understands and communicates and offers his truth to us, it really matters. It affects every aspect of our lives. Chris Mishler is here this morning. I, I uh, have gotten acquainted with Chris, and he has uh, some really powerful things to say about this subject, so I've invited him to la- launch this series with us uh, th- this weekend. Chris uh, is a homegrown boy. He uh, has lived in the area most of his life, all of his life. He's currently living with his wife, Joey, over in the Anderson, Alexandria area. They've raised a few kids. They've been in ministry all these years. Uh, Back in the day, Chris's dad was the pastor of the First Church of God in Eaton. We all know where Eaton is. And subsequently to that, he's served with Campus campus Life, Youth for Christ, rather, Youth for Christ, uh, on and off, uh, dynamic ministry there. He's pastored churches. He's planted a church. He's currently working with a ministry called menministry.org, and so you can check that out online. And uh, so we're just proud to have Chris with us. He's been helping us with the oversight team with Paul Erminger and our church planning initiative in Florida. So lots of good things to say about Chris, and he's been doing marvelous ministry for us all weekend. So give him a nice warm welcome as Chris Mishler comes to share with us. One more, man. Thank you. Hi, Union Chapel. I've heard tons of incredible things about you, and I've experienced it firsthand, and I've experienced your staff. You guys have great staff. There's not a loser in the bunch. I'm serious. They are incredible. And uh, it is a privilege to be with you guys right now and uh, in our fourth service uh, this weekend. We've got 10 more to do today but then we'll be done by tonight around midnight. Would you guys pray for me, just between you and the Lord, would you pray that I'd be anointed with his Holy Spirit? And then, if you would love the Lord to reveal himself to you this morning, would you ask him to do that? Lord, what do you want to do? I pray that that hope would come today, which is you. I pray for peace. I pray for encouragement. I pray that they would, everybody, including me, we would experience you. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As uh, Pastor Greg said, I'm with Men Ministry. And my ministry partner's name is Brent Henderson. And uh, Brent and I have been friends for a long time. And Brent grew up in a very similar home to me. Um, I grew up, my dad's a Church of God pastor, like I said, lived in Eaton, Indiana. Who, anybody ever been to Eaton? Isn't it gorgeous? It's lovely. My wife and I summer there. And, uh, but I remember as a kid, the smells of Eaton. In fact, they could make a perfume line called Autumn, uh, Etone, all kinds of things. Um, I loved Eaton. 
And, uh, but my dad's a pastor, and I grew up in a church environment, and so did Brent. That was his experience. And when Brent was 19, he left home, and he went and got his own apartment, got a job, and he uh, had a buddy from high school call him up and say, hey, dude, I'm coming into town, and we're going to partay. And he goes, sweetness. And so his buddy shows up on a Friday night, and he's bringing a case of beer. He's got stogies. He's got porn magazines. He's got it all. And they partied and had a blast. Well, Sunday came, and he had to go to work. And so he goes to work. And at work, his parents show up, uh, and they live hours away, and they showed up to surprise him at work, and they said, hi, Brent, it's mom and dad. Oh, mom and dad. Oh, mom and dad. And they said, we, we wanted to come and spend the night with you. Your dad's got the day off tomorrow, and we're going to spend the night. Uh, that'd be great. And immediately he's thinking about his apartment that is full of what he calls his debauchery his shame, his I-should-know-better kind of stuff. And so he thinks real quick, and he thinks, uh, uh, Mom and Dad, tell you what, there's a shop I want you guys to visit. Give me an hour so I can get things ready for you. I want it to look nice for you. And uh, you guys come in. They said, fine. So he goes home. He walks in, and the smell of a bowling alley hits him. And beer cans are everywhere, pizza boxes, uh, stogies here and there, and then the, the porn magazines were all over the place. And so he grabs the big trash bags, and he is working as hard as he can with the windows open, trying to flee the place, to rid the place of his shame. And so, is that me? Excuse me, it's indigestion. As he's raking the last stuff into the trash bag, he ties it up and he carries the last bag down by the road because, hey, Monday is garbage day. And it will rid him of everything that he experienced this weekend. Nobody knows. It's so great. And his mom and dad show up and, oh, Brent, your house is just lovely, blah, 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 blah. And they had a great time that night. He wakes up the next day to the smell of his mom making coffee. Isn't that a great smell? And uh, I think it was uh, Folgers, and it had the, the crystals in it and stuff. And he, he just comes downstairs, and he's stretching, and it's so good. Mom, Mom's there. Oh, whoa, so good. Where's Dad? And she goes, well, uh, apparently a dog got in your trash and had torn your trash up all over your yard, so your father's down there, he's cleaning it all up for you. <laughs> uh, Brent is immediately hit with, oh, oh. And have you ever been caught like that ever? And he walks outside. Now let me ask you, if you're a parent, What do you do in that moment? Here comes your son, whom you have raised right. And he's walking out, and you're just raking in the last, and the last pile happens to have another one of those porn magazines. I tell you what, I think if it was me, I'd stand up, and I'd have that magazine, and I'd look at him, and I'd go, 
look at that. No, wait a minute. Don't look at that. What, what on earth are you doing? What are you thinking, man? Look at that. It was all over the place. The neighbors saw it. What do you think it means to your mother and I? We raised you right. Your mother, she can't even come outside. She's just sick. She's sick. She couldn't even eat this morning. What do you think that if people find out that it was you, that you did this, what do you think they're going to think about you, Brent? You're going to be known as the big perv on the corner. What in the world? I don't know what you'd have done. I would have probably went off. Uh, but this is what his dad did. He scoops the last bit in and he sees his son <laughs> who's got his tail between his legs. And he goes, uh, hey, bud. You doing okay? Peace. Brent said it was a huge pivotal moment in his life that he experienced grace and what grace does. And immediately to that response, he said, uh, I'm not that. I'm kind of struggling. How would you have responded? There's a quote from Pastor Greg's friend. His name is John Lynch in the book, The Cure, which I would encourage everybody to get. And don't let me forget to tell you about these because they're huge. But picture this. Let me ask you, what if instead of it being like I described with me being all upset and mad, what if instead there was a friend or there was a place so safe that the worst aspects of me could be known. That I would not be loved less, but actually loved more by opening up, by the telling of it. That I don't have to worry about being shamed, judged, condemned, tried to f be fixed, controlled. I wouldn't have to worry about an intervention. None of that. What would it be like to have a place or a person like that in my life that if I could just tell him everything, that it would be met with love? Well, how did Brent's dad handle that like that? Well, in order for you and I to get to that point, maybe you already are, but in order for us to get to the point of being able to be a safe place for somebody, is that I need to understand why people do what they do. Because if I don't understand why people do what they do, then I will have the wrong approach. I will try to fix and I will try to control people to get the outcome that I want. I will go about it the completely wrong way. In fact, I'm going to start with something that so many of us start with, and it's the action itself. If we can just get you to stop doing what you're doing, then everything's going to be okay. And that's called behavioral management. In the church, we call it sin management. You got to struggle? Stop. Just stop. I was at Promise Keepers. Heard a speaker who had the men in the palm of his hand. Huge football stadium. And he talked about 
Everybody struggled. And he said, man, I've got a novel idea about your sin. How about this? Just stop. And there was enough guys that went, amen. The rest of us were going, just stop. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Just stop. Like that's going to work. In fact, just stopping the behavior doesn't even impact what I'm thinking. And so, yeah, maybe I stopped doing it, but am I still thinking it? Isn't it Jesus that said, let me tell you something. For those of you who say it doesn't, hey, at least I haven't had an adulterous affair. He says, you guys think that that's good? I'm telling you, if you even lust, you're guilty of adultery. He's not trying to up the scales for us to go, good grief, Jesus, why make it even harder for us? No, what he's saying is, is that we can very easily get caught up in performance that at least I don't do it. And that's called cleaning the outside of the cup. He got on the Pharisees about that all the time. They stopped the behaviors, but on the inside, they were still dirty, filthy, rotten. Isn't it cool that the answer isn't just stop? It's to just understand why we do what we do. And this is where the gospel comes into play and takes care of it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This is called psychology. This is the pyramid, uh, the, the uh, freedom pyramid that we have, that the people that I work with. Um, this is a profile of my friend. I know it's not extensive, but this is an actual profile of my friend. My friend, his action is he's a workaholic, works constantly. Now, that's not something that we really deal with in the church a whole lot because if you're sitting in a group and you're going, my husband works all the time, makes tons of money, not a whole lot of women are going, boy, bad for you, I'm sorry. I can't even get my husband out of the couch. His thumb is so swollen from switching the remote on and off. I, we don't really have a lot of sympathy. But let me tell you something, workaholism was, is killing him. Very poor relationship with his kids, very poor relationship with his wife at the time. And for me to treat it like this, hey, hey, just stop. Look, you're here. You've been here. How many hours a week are you in already? You're at 60 hours a week on Wednesday? Dude, you've got to stop your wife. And then what I could do is begin to shame him. Your wife, look at you, what do you think is doing to her that you're not here? The kids, do you emotionally connect with your kids? Look, let me show you a video of your son. He's holding up signs. I wish my dad was here. Oh, none of that stuff. It's not going to work because guilt and shame does not work. Oh, it does for a little bit. And if the wife threatens, I'm going to leave you. Oh, the fear works for a little bit. I'll get my life in. That's right, honey. This is the last time. Let me tell you something. The reason why he struggles with workaholism isn't because he doesn't want to be a good dad. It's because he doesn't even think about it. The reason why he doesn't think about it is because it doesn't have anything to do with his worth and his value. Take a look at this. T-E-A. He is a workaholic. Why does he work all the time? Because he has anxiety when he's not. Why? Because the thought that he thinks is that I must succeed. I've got to succeed. I've got to be on top. And sitting around and spending time with my family is not me succeeding. Now, you and I would go, oh, oh but on the contrary, succeeding as a parent, that's the most important thing. Yeah, that you're right. True. But that's not where he's getting his worth and his value. The problem is, is there's always the thought behind it, the B-T-E-A. 
So the reason why he thinks what he thinks is because he believes this, that his value comes from his performance. That if he is performing well, then he is valuable. And so that's why it doesn't matter if there is distance with the family He's performing well. He's getting the strokes that he needs to feel valuable. Now, me, my profile is on the other side. It's people approval. It's I want people to approve of me. Now, I've really worked on it and to the point where I don't care at all like I used to. But, ladies and gentlemen, it controlled me. I, a people approval addict. What that means is, is that I learned as a small child that I have the ability to make people happy. I have the power to make a human being happy by finding out what it is that they want, and my life was committed to that, and so I became codependent. If they're not happy, then I'm not happy. How many of you guys have ever said this? Happy wife, happy? That's codependency. I can't be happy unless mama's happy. That's codependency. And so let me tell you something. It was all about keeping people happy with me. Not everybody. The kingpins. There were certain people in my life that I had to keep happy. They had to feel good about me, and I would do everything. In fact, do you guys remember the old variety shows where there would be a guy that, it's really gone by the wayside, nobody cares about it anymore, but he used to spin plates. Anybody ever see a plate spinner on sticks? And they'd play that music, and then he'd run around, and he'd spin the plates, and, oh, he's going to lose that one, just a nick of time to get it going. Remember that? That was my life, running between people. Who can I keep happy because I want to be happy? In fact, if you looked at me, you would go, Chris, he's the nicest guy. Oh, man, the Lord, he's all over him. Well, yeah, God's in me. But I'm not doing that because of that. I just want you to feel good about me so that I can feel good about me. Why? What drives me? Anxiety. I don't know how that relationship is with so-and-so. Man, I need to make a phone call or something. And then you text. Hey, you know, you're doing good. You crack a joke and they don't respond and you're going... Uh, and you reread your text, two hours pass, you're panicking, and you're starting to retext. Hey, uh, I was just joking on that last one. Hey, call me when you can. And you're nervous, you can't even think about it. And then at the end of the day, you're, you're thinking that they're mad at you, and now you're all mad at them, and you're, you know, forget you. I don't even want you, forget about even texting me anymore. And then they realize that they had their phone in the truck for the whole day, and it wasn't even anything you blew up in your mind. I mean, we, we panic, don't we? We just run, and our lives are controlled by what people think. Our lives are controlled by our performance. In fact, here's the big lie, everybody, right here. This is what we're born into. This is a result of what I believe is the fall. That we were born into this, that our worth and our value comes from other people's opinions and from our performance. And as long as I'm going to get it from you, I will do everything I can to get it from you. The cool thing is this. 
is that Jesus comes to set us free. Let me ask you something about performance and where you get your worth and your value. How many of you believe that God, on a scale of 1 to 100, where do you believe his righteousness is? Hi, my name is Chris. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, on a scale of 1 to 100%, how righteous is God? 100%. 100%. Okay? God, does anybody have any trouble with the fact that God is 100% righteous? Anybody? Okay, good. Now, let me throw you the three circles. In 2 Thessalonians, I think it's 5.23, the Apostle Paul describes the human body being made up into three parts. There's our body, which is where our actions come from, and we always seem to focus on the action part, which will never, never fix anything. It's coming from our soul. That's where our emotions are. That's where our thoughts are. That's where our heart is. That's why when we're troubled, we would say, my soul is troubled. When I'm happy, my soul is happy. That's where we live. And then at the very core of us, now this isn't a scale. That doesn't mean the spirit is a small part of us, is our spirit. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we are. We are spirits. God has made us into his image, this spirit that we are, is intended to live forever. And so let me ask you this. If it's the spirit that lives forever, out of the three, which is the most important part of us? Because that's who we are. And the Bible says this, that when you and I understand that God has done everything to restore a relationship with us, so that he can set us free from the lie that when we believe in what he's done and we accept him into our life, that he enters into us. Can you leave the three circles up there real quick? He comes into the core of us. His Holy Spirit connects with our spirit and makes us into a new creation. And so how righteous is God? God comes into you. In fact, the actual theological term is that he imputes into you and I. Like a big syringe, he injects us with his righteousness. How righteous are we? 100%. Why are we 100%? Because he's in us. And so let me ask you something. What makes us righteous? God does. And so, if I, who have God in me, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, in my spirit, the real me, what if I leave here after having a wonderful time with you, somebody pulls out in front of me, and they drive very, very slow, and so I'm immediately irritated. Does anybody have trouble driving? Do you get a little mad? I do. I think I'm the greatest driver in the world. That's the problem. Pulls out in front of me, and they're making me go slow. And now I'm going, why did they do this? Why would somebody pull out in front of me and make me go slow? And then they start doing the brakes, trying to back me off. And oh, 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 now it's on. He want to play that way. And so I tail him, and now it's real tense, and my foot is just feathering the gas. And thank God my wife's not in there because she would, what are you doing? I'm trying to prove a point, teaching them a lesson. 
And then the person gives me the international welcome signal with their middle finger. Beep. Now it's on. I pull over, force them off to the side of the road, and then we get into a fight on the side of the road. How righteous am I while I'm doing that? Who said 100%? Raise your hands. Why would you say that? Because why? That's right. My righteousness is not based on me. It's based on Christ. Because we can then take this lie that my value and my worth is based on people approval and my performance, and we make it religion. That I am more valuable to God when I do the right things. Have you ever struggled? Have you ever been around somebody who is spiritually proud? Aren't they fun? <laughs> I was in a group one time where guys were just, it was a safe group. We thought it was safe. Guys were going, hey, man, the thing I struggle with is this. And the next guy said, I struggle with that. Man, dude, thanks for sharing that. No joke. There was like 25 people that shared. The last guy, <laughs> I get you, <laughs> goes like this. How about you, sir? Well, I just thank the Lord God that I've never had a struggle like you men. I have trusted the Lord with my whole life. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, not one of us went, oh, we'd like to be like him. We went, let's take him down and beat him up because he's lying. <laughs> that spiritual piety, we actually think that God is up there going, hey, hey, what, what are you? He's prayed seven times just today. <laughs> he's a legend in my book, everybody. Gather round. I tell you what, I want to bless him so much now. I didn't before because he angered me, but he is performing for me like crazy. Now he deserves everything that's coming his way. He doesn't play that way. In fact, let me show you this in Colossians 2. It says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ... You have been brought to fullness. Another translation says completeness. Christ makes you complete. Look what he says in Galatians. And if you struggle thinking that your worth and your value is always up and down in the, even the eyes of God and you struggle with the issues of salvation and you mix them up with sanctification, which means sanctification is this, learning to live loved. Learning to live out of the fact that the God of the universe dwells in you. And this is what he says in Galatians. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, meaning by your efforts? Did you receive it by your efforts or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the means of the Spirit, and a lot of us would go, oh, no, I know. It's, it's, I asked Christ to come into my life, and that was it. But now it's up to me to maintain my righteousness. Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So, again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of you? By your efforts or by your believing what you heard. You see, 
Christ has eliminated everything. There's no more. It's not about you and me. That you are complete. That your value and your worth is in your identity in Christ. Not in anything else. You cannot be more loved by him. He cannot love you any less. It's done. And what he calls you and I to do is to live out of that. And so here's what it looks like. The reason why I would get mad at the person pulling out in front of me and slowing me down is because I feel that they've disrespected me. And now I'm going to try to make myself feel better. I'm going to try to make myself feel more valuable by teaching them a lesson. And then they up the game and disrespect me more by breaking in front of me. And then they give me the universal signal of welcome. And now I'm infuriated. What's happening is, is that the enemy, it says in Ephesians, that the enemy is always shooting flaming arrows into my mind, which is my soul, trying to tell me, oh, Chris, oh, Chris, oh, no, they didn't. They're devaluing you, man. You look like a pansy to them. You know what a real man would do? They wouldn't let him do that. They're going to, a real man would pull them over and they'd make them pay. And so you've got this pressure and I want to be a real man. I want to feel valuable. I don't want to look like a pansy. What will other people think? My head is on fire with lies. In that moment, guys, am I living, if I pull over and I take things into my own hands, trying to get back my value and my worth by teaching this guy a lesson, am I living according to the Holy Spirit in me, believing the truth about me, or am I living according to the lies of the enemy? Which one? The lies. Why did Brent, my friend, do what he did? Was he living completely loved, or was he living according to the lies? Do you know what happens when you and I live according to the lies? you know why we do what we do? It's because we are being wounded by the enemy. It's like this. It's like if you and I are in Iraq or wherever the latest skirmish is, and we're in a foxhole, and we are fighting a common enemy, which is the enemy. And as we're battling together, a bomb hits your friend and blows off his leg and instead of turning around with compassion and trying to help the situation, we turn around because he's wounded by the enemy and we go, oh, great. Now I got to carry him. You realize how hard you've made my life right now? Not only was it hard fighting these guys, now I got to worry about you. Anytime that we take it personal, when somebody misbehaves, we are forgetting the fact that they are wounded by the enemy. And then we ourselves allow the lies to hit us, and it becomes this ugly thing. Circumstances, you name it. We all would say, well, if this wouldn't happen, if my wife would just do this, if my husband would just do that, then I would do this. If my kids would only... Listen, Christ has set us free. And no matter what we face, when I 
Do not respond to the lies and the flaming arrows of the enemy. Instead, I live out of the Holy Spirit in me who keeps telling me as that person slows down in front of me. And the moment I'm tempted, I realize I hear the Spirit say, hey, Chris, what are you doing? Why are you mad? Well, because he pulled out in front of me and made me slow down. And he's not respecting me. How does that make you feel, Chris? Makes me feel less. Okay, Chris, are you actually less valuable? No. Then why are you mad? I guess I'm not mad. Chris, even if he was trying to pull to, what if he was trying to make your life miserable? Why do you think he's doing that? It's because he's not understanding how loved he is. That's right. So his head's on fire, isn't it? Yeah. And now you're judging him because his head's on fire. You're judging him about the decision he's making. You're holding him in contempt for your life. Yeah. Okay, Chris. Do you want to live that way? No, I don't. And I'll tell you what. Let's live loved. And then no matter what, when you lean into me, when you understand that you are loved, you are complete, this is what you're going to experience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That happens when you and I live loved. How did Brent's dad not make it about himself? How did he create that safe place for Brent to be real? It was because Brent's dad said, my value and my worth isn't in my son's performance or my performance as a parent or what anybody else is going to think. Now instead of me being concerned about me and what everybody else is going to think about me, I'm able to actually love and to focus on my son. So here it goes, everybody. The reason why you do what you do is because of what you're feeling. The reason why you're feeling what you're feeling is because of what you're thinking. And the reason why you think the way that you think is because of what you believe. And it's always attached to the big lie. And when you change what you believe, then it changes the way that you think. And it changes the way that you feel. And it changes what you do. Christ has taken care of it. Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you this. Do you realize that if you have Christ, you are complete? Do you understand it? Do you know that you're whole? Live out of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that it is everywhere that you are madly in love with us. You have taken care of it. It is done. And we are able to live out of that and not hold anybody else in contempt for our lives. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.